Hey everybody, welcome to the Resistance Broadcast. I'm John, thanks for joining us today. It's our Thursday show, but not your typical TRB show. Uh, we have an interview with Star Wars voice actor Steven Stanton. We're going to get into in just a few moments. He's been with Star Wars for like 15 years, playing all sorts of characters, and he may or may not have done one of the voices in the interview. You'll have to stay, uh, stick around for that. Uh, James and Lacey with me as always. Lacey, uh, I know you're a big fan of uh, Star Wars quirkiness and weird voices and that sort of thing, and the voice <laughs> the voice acting is a big part of that, so... Um, he Stevens got into a lot and and talked for quite a bit of a lot of cool things. So it was interesting to check that out, right? Yeah, I am definitely a Radis fangirl. As you guys know, I love Admiral Akbar. So uh, I'm going to be honest. This interview, I I listened a lot, like a real <laughs> lot, because I was just in so much awe of like everything that he does. Yeah, and then also um his knowledge of movies and old school Hollywood and all that stuff. Like I could just listen to him forever. Yeah, and James, we don't have to say it. I mean, Rogue One's your thing, so it's just, this is a big moment. Big Admiral showing up on the pod for you. Yeah, and um, you know we haven't got to it yet, but like I will say my respect for Steven gr- grew infinitely. There were so many times in this that he proved himself in, in, a, in a lot of ways of uh, how deep he goes in his love for, number one, I guess his job, uh, and and his trade, but also too, just in general, like I, he loves Star Wars and is willing to Definitely. go the extra mile. So yeah, th- this was a lot of fun. I'm excited for you guys to see it. Yeah, and uh, just an all around gracious guy. And without you know, we don't need to get into it any more than doing it right now. So let's send it to us having our discussion and interview with the great Stephen Stan. Steven, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Resistance broadcast and welcome to our Resistance base tonight. Um, thank you guys for having me aboard, John, James, Lacey. It's uh, great to be here with all three of you. Um, so before before we get into anything, um, obviously just on a human level, we just want to ask uh, so our audience knows, how are you doing in 2020? It's obviously a rough year. How are you, in, how are you holding up uh, during uh, this pandemic and this crazy year? Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, it's it has been a it's been a tough year. Uh, I'm I'm in good health, so uh, I have that to be very grateful for. Very thankful for that. So, uh, no worries on that score so far. Uh, keep my fingers crossed. And uh, you know, um, right now here in LA, we've got a brand new lockdown. So <laughs> there's uh, nobody's going anywhere very much at all. And, you know, I'm 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 very fortunate. I have a studio uh, at home. I've had one for many, many years uh, doing voiceovers. So when um, when this lockdown happened, uh, fortunately, I was prepared, you know, technically speaking, to continue to work. It wasn't too big of a of a hurdle for me to uh, to to get over to to get back to work once people started figuring out how to do that. It was more on the more the on the end of studios that had never done remote work before. I've done a lot of remote work for almost all the commercials that I do, trailers, promo, all that stuff. Animation, they weren't really used to doing it that way mm-hmm. for film mm-hmm. and TV. So there was a bit of learning curve more on the studio side to figure out how to connect with all these, you know. And then, of course, there are actors that don't have home studios that now have had to build them out of necessity so they could continue to work. And, uh, um, you know, so I'm like I said, I'm very happy that... Um, 
Uh, I had everything kind of in place before this happened, but there was still a lot of things that had to be figured out because I don't know if you guys, you know, before we did everything with ISDN, now there's IPDTL and Source Connect and Connection <laughs> Open and, you know, there's just tons. Everybody's got all these new pieces of software and uh, all the teleconferencing with Zoom and Blue Jeans and Skype and all this stuff. And there's it's always a mixture of all these things. So I have to have, you know, I always keep a session log and notebook at home anyway. And now it's just, you know, each page is just filled with details on how I did each job because when they come wow. back, they always come back to fix something or re-record. You got to go back and connect all the dots and say, okay, how did we do this before? You know, what microphone did we use mm-hmm. and everything. So. <laughs> Wow. Um, I imagine most of our audience already knows you from your work because our audience are obviously diehard Star Wars fans. There's no need for like, explaining that aspect of it. Um, but in terms of uh, what, what you're known for, why don't you tell our audience what they would probably know you for in a galaxy far, far away? <laughs> well, it depends on what you're into. If you're into the, uh, the live action films, uh, you would have heard me as the voice of Admiral Raddus in Rogue One, the first of the standalone Star Wars films. And um, if you're a gamer, you've probably heard me uh, going back to all the way to the very first uh, Battlefront II and Empire at War as uh, old Ben Kenobi. And actually, I even did Darth Maul in one of those uh, way back when. Uh, it's one of those things I just threw at you at the sessions. Like, do you think you could do Darth Maul's voice? Give it a shot. Let's see if you can, what you come up with. <laughs> and um, and we're into the arcade version, uh, Star Wars Battle Pods. I don't know if you've ever seen that incredible game i you know that uh i don't know where you'd play it now dave and busters is where you could you know sit in that thing with that wraparound screen not yeah. this year yeah right. <laughs> so if you're in uh disney infinity uh reprising uh the voice of uh, ben kenobi there and then uh if you're into the animation of course i go all the way back to the original clone wars uh starting with season two uh doing the voice of masa meta and then of going on to do Tarkin and Moralo Evol and Meaver Gascon. And then uh, once that was over, uh, I did uh, Star Wars Rebels and came back as Tarkin. And then as a new character, the droid AP-5, who's like the bizarro world uh, C-3PO. Yeah. And then... <laughs> the uh, the bizarro droid Alan Rickman. Yes. Well, you know, actually, they they um, when that script came to us for the audition... They were on, They were trying to explain the relationship of Chopper and AP-5 to the rest of the, you know, the, that little group in Rebels. And they said they are like the Statler and Waldorf of Star Wars <laughs> Rebels. <laughs> so keep that in mind. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I did a bunch of different takes for them. But the script that I had for that character was... It had one of the... It had some of the dialogue from the first episode that he appears in. But it was different than what would actually appeared in the episode. And the, the, um, the uh, meeting with uh, Chopper was very confrontational. I mean, he was a lot meaner of a droid, if you can believe that, in this audition script. And it just struck me that he sounded like uh, that sort of narcissistic, snooty attitude that uh, Alan Rickman had as Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Oh, um, yeah. So I patterned it after that, because it was, like I said, it was very confrontational, you know, where it's like, you know, I wasn't even sure if this was a good guy or a bad guy character, whatever. So that's what I based it on, <laughs> and, and that's it. That's ended up being what they, what they chose. And then if we move on right. to uh, to Star Wars Resistance, I played another new character 
Griff, who was an ex Thai fighter now turned uh, ace pilot and racer. And uh, he's a guy with a, a pretty cool backstory. I was originally told that I asked, remember when uh, we were just starting, starting the series, I went to Dave Filoni and I said, I'm not really sure, you know, about this guy and like how I should play him. And he said, just think of him. He said, he's, he's the same age as Han Solo would be in real time. So however old Han Solo is in Star Wars at any given time, that's the age of Griff. So he says you can kind of pattern him that, you know, the, the sort of age of the character. Oh, that's based pretty on cool. Yeah. Long solo is. yeah. Hmm. So there you go. That's is kind there of, any sort of connection the, with, uh, is there any sort of connection with Back to the Future, Griff? You know, I, I thought so, because that's immediately when I heard that name, that's exactly what I thought of. Uh, but I kind of mentioned that to the crew, and they kind of like, they had, it was almost like they hadn't even thought of that <laughs> that character or uh-huh. had forgotten about it or something. But uh, yeah. I think the character, you know, I think all all uh, sort of like uh, images of Biff and Griff kind of go out the window once Griff comes on the screen and starts talking. Yeah. He kind of owns that name now uh, for himself. Oh, yeah. I don't yes. think there's any doubt on who the character is. No question. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you in terms of, how you approach different Star Wars characters. Um, I know you do a lot of other voice work too, which I, I hope to touch on a little later, but um, doing characters that existed prior to you versus a Radis who's kind of like, Steven, this is your character. Um, is, is there trepidation to not be an impressionist, but also kind of uh, honor the character versus like, wh- which do you like better? Uh, if you could touch on the differences between taking on a character that existed versus a new character. Yeah. All of that, what you just said there. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it, when you're doing your own character, you're, you're coming to coming to it from a very different place because you're trying to create something based on what the writer had in mind and what the director has in mind. And then, you know, what your, your input is. And um, so, you know, you, you come to it, you, know, you come to the audition with that. And then uh, if you're lucky enough to get booked, like say Radis, you know, for instance, or something like uh, Griff or AP5. Then you get to the set, and then the fine tuning starts happening. You know, like uh, do, how do how we how do we want to play this character? We know what the voice sounds like, and how this character might act in one particular scene that you audition for. But now we have to flesh the whole thing out. And what is that character like? Uh, you know, in more than just that scene. Dave Filoni has an interesting way of working. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's carried that over into live action, like when he was dealing with uh, Rosario Dawson and uh, the Mandalorian doing Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. I've talked to him about this uh, at some length one time. He, of course, as the director, he's helming the thing. He has the, the vision of like how he wants this character to look, sound, be on the screen. But at the same time, he doesn't like... Despite everything you've heard about Dave talking to us for like a half hour before the session starts, I'm sure you've heard those stories. That's usually more about what the the, the episode that we're going to work on today. And when it comes to your individual characters, he doesn't like to give the actors too much information. As he once told me, he says, look, I grew up, you know, Pennsylvania. I'm just, you know, I have a, a frame of mind and a point of view based on how I grew up and the experiences that shaped me. Because I have no idea what you're going to do with this piece of dialogue. He goes, you may come up with something way better than I even envisioned. So before I get into too many details, he wants to kind of just let you 
play the scene out, play the character as you would come up with your own ideas and see if that works. If it doesn't, you'll get notes and you'll be asked to make an adjustment and try something different. Uh, but that, and that is actually that style of directing that Dave does works for both the characters that I'm voice matching and the original characters. So even when we did Ben Kenobi, as a character I was very familiar with, you know, I'd been kind of like trying that voice on for size since 1977, <laughs> then doing it in the games. And then uh, a lot of time has gone by. I'm older now too. I was older when I was doing that. And uh, my experiences helped to, you know, change how I would do that scene, you know, dealing with uh, Ezra, the younger person and, and Obi-Wan, the mentor. I kind of looked at that scene very much like, uh, um, Alan Guinness sitting on the log talking to uh, Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, you know, it all depends on your certain point of view. It's a very fatherly sort of talk. It's not not like the Obi-Wan we knew in the first one because, you know, they didn't know each other that well. But um, it's, the, uh, it's the later Obi-Wan. That's what I based it on. So I studied that, did a lot of research on that. And... Uh, and once again, when I got to the studio to record for Twin Sons, Dave didn't give me any direction at all, really, to start with, other than setting up the scene. He just wanted to see what myself, Taylor, and Sam were going to do, you know, with these three characters in this sequence. And I think I remembered running the scene at least twice before Dave said, okay, now let's try this, or let's try something different with this line. And they rewrote a few things in there. Once they heard the actors, you know, playing out the scene and they realized, hmm, there's too much dialogue here. Uh, let's try. I remember Henry Gilroy taking his pencil. He says, you got a, got your pencil? He goes, start striking these lines. And we, we cut some stuff out to kind of like uh, move the scene along a little faster. It wasn't as, you know, it was a little more talky than it came out to be. Okay. Yeah. So we have those kinds of adjustments. And then in particular with that episode, Dave Filoni brought me back in just to change like one line of dialogue. We had a whole session where he just brought me in and he, and he discussed there. He discussed with me why he won't, why he was making the change. He was, he was concerned that it was not something a Jedi would say. Uh, he said he might want to consult with George on this, George Lucas to see what his input might be. So we recorded this one line of dialogue a few different ways. And in the end, you know, they ended up even omitting some of the dialogue that we thought was going to be in the scene in, in the vein of the sort of less is more kind of a school of filmmaking mm -hmm. yeah. where you don't really have to hit the audience over the head with everything. And then if you want to talk about somebody like Tarkin, I actually have something here I can show you. So Tarkin's a character that I have, you know, been very lucky to, you know, having been a fan of Peter Cushing since I was a kid. And then see, not knowing he was going to be in Star Wars and finding out when I sat in the theater and all of a sudden he came on screen. It's like, Peter Cushing, <laughs> brand new movie. What's going on here? This movie just got like 10 times wow. better. Uh, so in the Clone Wars, we got a chance to do the young Captain Tarkin, which nobody had ever seen mm -hmm. that. And, you know, we've explored him all the way up to uh, uh, Admiral Tarkin and Grand Moff Tarkin. And I'm always looking for what's going on with that character and all the, the in-between times since you've seen him because he ages and he has experiences. And I have things like this. I don't know if you can see it here. This is, are you familiar with uh, Tarkin by James Lucino? Oh, I was going to ask you. At, yeah. Have the, you, uh, have you read that novel? Look at all the tabs that I have in here. This is one oh, of my, wow. 
research Bibles because there's so much in this book that pertains to the character. There's stuff about Ahsoka in here. I don't know who's read this book and who hasn't read it. Mm-hmm. Have, have you all read it? There's stuff about how he likes his pants. Yes. His boots, actually, and his, and, his, and his uniform. But there's all kinds of things. Another one of my characters that I voice is in there, Masa Meda, uh, the, uh, yeah. I think the Findian, the Findians, Moralo Evolves mm-hmm. people show up in that novel. So there's a lot of tabs that I have on there to, uh, to remind myself about things that I want to keep in mind when I'm doing these characters, depending on what time period they're, be, they're done in. Because as you know, and as Dave Filoni just reminded us recently, Star Wars stories are not told linearly. They're not told right. in a linear no. fashion. So wherever you are in the timeline, you've got to remember what your character does know or doesn't know. Just like Obi-Wan at the end of uh, Twin Suns, he's they're scratching. You know, right there, they, they think that Luke is the chosen one, or they're hoping he's the chosen one because they think they messed mm-hmm. up the last time. Yeah. But yeah, voice match and creating original characters, two different things. Voice match is, and his voice match is different from doing just impressions because you are really trying to get in the head of that actor and try to understand what they might have done with those lines of dialogue if they were still around today. How might they have addressed their character and, uh, you know, done those scenes? So that's. It's yeah. There's a lot of pressure to get to get that right, you know. And I always look to like the, the yeah. there's the Peter Cushion Appreciation Society in uh, in the UK. It was originally founded as the original fan club. I think by his, I think it might have been. I'm, if I got this wrong, I don't know. But his uh, secretary Joyce might have been behind it originally, getting it all together. I'm, I apologize if I got that wrong. But uh, I always look to them. If they give me the sign-off on the Peter Cushing Tarkin stuff, then I know I'm doing a good job. And they have, uh, they have <laughs> very fortunately for me, embraced uh, the work that I've done in the animated realm as, uh, as Tarkin. So I'm very grateful to uh, all that their positive awesome. energy wow. that they put out about the work that I put in in the Star Wars franchise. That's great. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely do a great job. It, it, yeah, it's it's unbelievable sometimes when you um, think how long it's been since he passed and then you're watching an episode and it still feels like he somehow they got him to do these lines, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, thank you. And it, and what I think, what I love about it is that he's, he's, he's because he is one of my favorite actors and, I, and if George and Dave had not brought him back, you know, in the animated film, I don't know if, if that many people would really remember him just because he's in that first film. I think if you add up all the screen time dialogue, it's like eight minutes or something like that. You know, if you add it up, because, you know, I I had my, uh, my re my uh, practice reels where I listen to, listen to him over and over and over again. And I use that as a jumping off point. And then depending on the age of Tarkin, uh, I move over to Sherlock Holmes because that's Sherlock okay, Holmes. Yeah. Uh, Cushing's portrayal of Sherlock Holmes is more of Captain Tarkin, the younger, not a bad guy yet. He's still working with the Jedi, but he just rubs everybody the wrong way. And he thinks he's smarter <laughs> than everybody else. And he might be, we don't know. But that's, I was going to say, you know, me. so I, I look at the, either the Hound of the Baskervilles or the late 1960s uh, television series that Cushing did as, as Holmes as the jumping off point for the younger Tarkin as far as attitude and all that goes. That's yeah, because I saw um, I think it was a recent interview with Ewan McGregor, and he's talking about how he needs to try to find 
uh, an Obi-Wan closer to Alec Guinness now that they're moving the timeline up and he's only about 10 years away from the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan. But he said when he got the job for the prequels, he was only 25 years old. He went back and, and, and watched really old uh, Alec Guinness movies to try to see what he sounded like at that age. So he, you know, and you don't think about it as a fan. Like, you're just like, oh, he's just, you know, he's going to play a young Obi-Wan and he's going to sound British and that, that way we go. But go, doing that research and looking at movies of Alec Guinness, you know, as a 30-year-old or what have you, uh, it was very... Uh, like I, it was amazing to me, and now you you kind of bringing up how you did the same with um, Peter Cushing. Uh, so it seems like it's kind of a trick of the trade. Do you do you uh, do you expect Ewan McGregor to give you a buzz to be like, hey, how do you do an old uh, Alec Guinness? What's what's well, the secret in the sauce? I don't expect it. I'm never surprised when something like that happens. I've had uh, actors uh, call me to uh, consult with me on doing characters that I've done. Uh, you know, I'm not can't say who any of that is but that that has happened in the past but i think ewan is more than capable of finding that that voice uh, on his own i don't think he uh, i don't think he needs me to do that the man is uh, is quite good at his craft i will say though that uh, you're right you know when i went to look at uh, peter cushing's early work you know he he actually started his film career here in the united states in hollywood uh, he came over in the 1930s. He was a huge fan of Hollywood. He was, a, I think his favorite movie star at the time was Western star Tom Mix, uh, the cowboy star. And he's actually in uh, an old, uh, he's in uh, Laurel and Hardy film, The Chump at Oxford. He plays one of, the, one of the characters in there. And if you listen to him in his older films, especially his Hollywood films, his voice is so high, you wouldn't, if you didn't know it was Peter Cushing, there is no way you would recognize the voice. I guarantee it. And I, I didn't go that high with the voice. I did do a higher register in the Captain Tarkin uh, stuff, but it didn't go as high as what, what he was actually sounded like because I thought no one's going to know who this character is, despite the was fact like, that he actually does sound that way. It was like Mickey Mouse being Tarkin? You know, not quite, but it was it was pretty it was pretty it was much higher. Like I said, go go look at seeing. You know, I think he did a movie with Carol Lombard. He did, uh, like I said, Chump at Oxford's uh, an easy one to find. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue in it, but uh, his early films uh, in the United States, uh, he sounds very different. Then, of course, the war started, and uh, he felt the need to go back home, and then uh, you know, the rest is history over there with Hammer and all the stuff that he did on television in the UK, especially, which is really where he rose to fame. Hmm. Um, so I want, I want, I know James is probably chomping at the bit to ask you about Radis because, uh, Rogue One is his favorite movie. Ah, there you go. I yeah. can't argue with that choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I, I love that character and, um, I, I love how his voice turned out, obviously, um, channeling, I, I'm blanking on his, uh, Admiral Akbar. No, no, no. Um, the, the real life. Well, I can tell you who they asked the me to voice? base it on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted it as a cross between Winston Churchill and Pat. That's that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, that that obviously there there's that character in there too. Um, I I think Rogue One is interesting because I went into that movie fully expecting that Masamita was going to be in it as well. There's a couple um, of people, because of, you know, it's funny, I, I'll let you get to it. I talked to Dave Filoni around the time, and he mentioned to me a couple of characters that I voiced that he said probably should have been in it, but they weren't. But he says, 
anyway, he told me that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, because you were talking about reading the books earlier. I don't know if you have or hadn't, but you, you read the book Catalyst that leads into Rogue One, and he's so heavily in that and so important to the construction of the Death Star, more so than anybody would have ever expected. It was kind of reveal how heavily involved he was in that. And then I go into the movie, and I'm like, obviously, this is going to be really cool. It's going to tie to the prequels and all this, and he never shows up. And, and it's odd to me because... A, a new, brand new standout character that we love is Admiral Raddus here, and you have connections to both of these characters, you know? Yeah, and Raddus was uh, it was one of those sort of interesting situations where I auditioned for that character not knowing either the character or the film that it was a part of. It was all done secret, so I didn't know that it was for a Star Wars film that I was wow. auditioning for. <laughs> and uh, like I said, they originally That's said cool. they wanted um, a cross between Winston Churchill and... Uh, Patton. So I actually researched what Patton, the real Patton, sounded like. And he had mm-hmm. a very sort of, I always describe it as sort of a soft eastern seaboard accent. Not at all what we imagine him. And our, what we imagine him is based on George C. Scott's portrayal right. in the film. Yes. So I thought, well, that's yeah. probably what they mean by that. They really mean George C. Scott as <laughs> Patton and Winston Churchill. So I combined those two voices together and ended up booking the job. And it wasn't until I actually got on the sound stage over at Disney that they told me that he was a Mon Calamari and that they showed me a picture of <laughs> they looked like. Mad Wood was running the session with Doc Kane. And uh, Doc Kane is uh, kind of a legendary Disney uh, recording uh, engineer. He's been there forever. And uh, Mad Wood is there, of course, to make sure everything sounds like it should in Star Wars, you know. So, and they were all directing me uh, remotely from London. So, you know, all the direction was coming into my headset. I was looking at a screen, but that was the first time I saw him. So, and once he, and once Matt showed me the picture of him, I'm like, oh, okay. I know what I'm getting into here. Well, well, Stephen, th- this is funny because this isn't the first time this happened to you. I, I know uh, that this happened when you were uh, working on Mibra Gascon as well. Uh, as far as what goes, the oh, what he looked like? Yeah. Having no, no. idea that he was supposed to be like a tiny character no. as opposed to his pronouncing voice. Right. Well, yeah. the reason they did that is because they didn't want people to give him a little voice. They wanted him to have a, a big voice that matched the size of his ego, not the size of his, you know, <laughs> his physical stature, so to speak. So that's why they, that one, they said they wanted a very commanding voice, military guy. So I just kind of, you know, did my version of that. And I don't even know when I actually really saw you know, it's funny with Star Wars. There have been plenty of times where I have gone into a session, even while we're recording it, I still have no idea what the character looks like. Either the artwork or the model isn't finished, or they didn't didn't have it oh, wow. with them uh, that day. Usually it's on somebody's laptop, you know. So there's been plenty of times where you just go in and then you're surprised when you finally see it on the big screen or on the in, in, on television uh, what the character looks like. But that is, that's Star Wars, you know. <laughs> you never know what you're getting into. What is... What is your interpretation of Mieber Gascon? Like, do do you think like he's a legitimate colonel, or or do you think like Mace Windu and the other Jedi are just kind of like playing into his, I don't know, personality? Like, yeah, oh, you're this great general, or you know, like you're this great person. Well, no, you like, have to remember why. I, no, I believe he's a legitimate 
Curdle, I, you know, I think I have to, you know, Brent Friedman wrote those, uh, those episodes. I've never really talked to him about it, but I always thought they based it kind of a little bit on Lawrence of Arabia, uh, T.E. Lawrence, because he, he was a map maker that kind of got thrust into glory, you know, uh, but he actually really, he wanted it and was competent. And uh, uh, Mieber Gascon, he was the rank of colonel, but he was a map maker and an intelligence gatherer. <laughs> And the reason they chose him was, I think Wack brings it up in the show, because he's the only one that's small enough to fit inside of, I think, BZ, wherever it is, the other, the droid's name that they're going to use to smuggle into the, uh, mm-hmm. to grab the little, you know, the, uh, I want to say, the, yeah. the MacGuffin for the show, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's, I think the, they pretty much made it clear they thought he was competent enough, but the main, his main, uh, Thing he had going for him was his size how little he was <laughs> that makes sense such a weird character I, it's funny when when i was out uh in la and we were sitting right next to each other and i asked you i'm like so what, what's the deal with the raddest thing do they put an effect on it like what do they do and you just unloaded raddus onto me and it just i was like i couldn't believe that it was something a human being could create out of their voice you I have to that. ask me that again because Zoom, well, you asked the question, so I only got the very last few words of what you said. Okay, so when I was out in LA, we're sitting next to each other, and I asked you, I'm like, how did they do the raddest voice in post-production? Because obviously a human being can't just create that voice. And Whoa. then you unloaded... <laughs> You unloaded Radis right on me, right there, and it just like kind of like almost blew me out of my chair. So is that... Is that a, a something where you say like it's just what something I can do, or do you learn how to really contort your voice almost in a way that it to a person like me who thinks he's observant, it sounds like it's run through a distortion or a filter or something like that. Yeah, I have a we have a pretty unstable connection, but I think I question was that how am I able to do Admiral Radis's voice without any sort of post production magic or anything on mm-hmm. top of that? That is just you know. Uh, I was very young. You're born a certain way, you have certain gifts, and then it's up to you to kind of like um, do something with those and exercise, you know, the, your abilities. And, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really think too much about it. I thought pretty much anybody could do what I was doing, which was imitating cartoon voices, things like that, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, as, you, as I got older, I found out oh, it's actually, you know, uh, a skill that, you know, you have to work at, especially if you're doing things like voice match trying to yeah i have no idea what's going on in my in my throat when all that uh, stuff happens you know so you know when you're doing things like this is Radis of the rebel alliance all squadron leaders report in you know there you go <laughs> yes all right you know, i'm pumped i want to go fight no go. more now that, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, Rogue One, there's a lot of good reasons to like Rogue One, not the least of which is that, you know, that standalone really kind of paved the way for the Mandalorian to show that you could do uh, something that wasn't part of the Skywalker saga, it was live action, not animated, and people would come out and see it and they'd enjoy it. You know, there was a lot of new, uh, despite the characters that were that we knew that were in Rogue One, which is essentially like Tarkin and Darth Vader. You know, most everybody else in that was a brand new character. And, you know, I was so emotionally invested. Look, I, I didn't know how that film was going to end. When I was doing the, uh, my looping, the ADR for Radis, I had no idea where those battle sequences were happening in the film. They didn't tell me. 
they weren't going to tell me. Everything was a secret. Uh, so I thought, hey, it's Star Wars. That could be the opening of the film. It could be the middle of the film. I had no idea. And then at the end, you know, I see this part of this huge battle and everybody's sacrificing themselves. I'm sitting there, you know, with Kleenex in the theater, you know, dabbing my eyes, you know, I was so emotionally invested in these people. I thought that's the first time I've ever pulled out the hanky, uh, you know, to dab my eyes or in a Star Wars film. You know, it uh, really was moving in a lot of ways. So I'm looking forward to see what they do with like the uh, the Cassian series and, you know, yes. anything else that may come up. And that is uh it, it's it's fairly well documented that's the end of of admiral radis uh were you were you questioning that at the end of the movie we're like hold on did i get away what, what's going on everything. he does he Look, does not die all my time. characters so far i mean I'm, they're either they get arrested or they disappear disappear mysteriously if, if there's no body then yeah. i assume that there's a chance Look, they cut Darth Maul in half, and he was supposedly for sure dead now, okay, not coming back. And so if it's Star Wars, you know, I never, I never try to second guess what the, uh, you know, the, uh, where my characters might come up again, where they're being resurrected or, or, or if it's a prequel or whatever. You just, you just never know. You have, I mean, Tarkin was killed off in the first film, and look how much he's lived on since then. Uh, in the Clone Wars oh, yeah. and the Rebels, you know. And it goes to that uh, non-linear storytelling that you were talking about that George Lucas exactly. developed. Uh, that Dave Filoni, had, and we were joking with Taylor Gray about this because he would say, um, I would ask Dave questions about my character and stuff and Dave would kind of loop around to the point where he only told him a certain amount and said, all right, now go do this. And he said Filoni loves the aspect of bopping around, kind of like he did in the Clone Wars, where something in season two was really the beginning and, and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. So it's, it's certainly it's certainly an interesting approach that it looks like Dave just took the baton from George and has continued to run with that uh, sort of approach. Well, then there's all, you know, they were doing, like you said, they were doing that in the Clone Wars. So you probably, you guys probably all watched the last season of the Clone Wars, this most the most mm-hmm. recent last season of the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I worked on a, one of the arcs um, that, and I played a character called Marg Krim, who was the head of the Pike syndicate. And I'd actually recorded those years ago. Uh, and they were, they were a little different, but it was, it was based on, it was based on what they called Ahsoka's walkabout. You know, what was she going to be like after she left the Jedi order? And those uh, four scripts, they were penned by um, Charles Murray, who is uh, is an incredible writer. He was the executive producer on Luke Cage. He's written for uh, Sons of Anarchy. I mean, his list of live action credits is is phenomenal. And his take on the uh, on that arc is very different than what you guys ended up seeing in uh, the final season. The characters of Trace and Rafa weren't weren't in the original four arc uh, series. In fact, the first episode was originally titled Ronin, which is, you know, the samurai with no master, which uh, uh, Ahsoka was, she was, she was, she was a Ronin. It's too bad. They got rid of that concept. And part of the reason that the, uh, the episodes that you saw in season seven look so different from what I recorded is that there's been so much Star Wars canon since we recorded those. We've had Rogue One, we've had Solo, we've had the sequels. 
that we had something that connected so hard to the original trilogy in those that arc, they had to take it out because I don't think it. I don't think there was any way to really make that work anymore. Now that we know what we know about certain time periods and certain characters and all that stuff, but it was a really unique thing, and it's and it kind of fit into what you were saying about things not being in the right time or like, oh, I wouldn't think these this would have happened back then, but now we know how it connects to the original trilogy or, you know, so there was some cool stuff in there. It's too bad they had the jettison it and rework it, but I just think we, you know, so much has changed since those episodes were originally written that it just would have been like, you know, my God, the, the amount of brain power it would have made, <laughs> would have required to, to untangle all those knots and make it fit in with everything that's been done now in live action wouldn't have worked. But maybe one day Dave will, uh, Maybe they'll release those uh, those audio tracks or animatics because the things were completely you know they were completely recorded from start to finish. So it'd be nice to, to see that come out one day. But if they ever do, you guys, your minds are going to explode. Oh man, <laughs> I'm excited for that. That's the Clone Wars Super Deluxe box set. Yeah, <laughs> it'll probably have to be once you know everybody's dead and buried and there's nobody alive right. to talk yeah. about it anymore. You know. Your grandkids um, are gonna I, love it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it's like Marty McFly in Back to the Future. You're right. not ready for that yet, but your kids are gonna love it. Um, so you, I've noticed like you're you're very old school uh, physical media guy. Uh, you you every once in a while pop up uh, a tweet or something showing you putting an old uh, you know contraption together to watch the original version of Star Wars, or whatever. I never throw what? anything away, so there you go. <laughs> So, because um, I'm like, we're in this age now where everything's streaming. Like the Mandalorian, you can't, I can't go and buy the Mandalorian on like Blu-ray or 4K or anything like that. Do yeah. You, like, right, yeah. So, yeah, I'm really hoping that, that we do. Um, what What's your take on, on the, the element of streaming these days and kind of uh, where, where things are going? Like just today, like Warner Brothers said, you know, we're releasing all of our movies on, uh, you know, HBO Max. Like I'm a theater guy and I mean, you are because you worked at, didn't you work at Grandma's Chinese Theater? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So but, uh, you are know, you, do I, you have fears of the theaters uh, going away? Well, something's going to have to change. I mean, and for a lot of reasons. And it's not it's not any one entity's fault, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, when I worked at the Chinese theater, you know, or, uh, I would never have, uh, envisioned wanting to stay home and watch a movie, but that's because television sets were all CRT screens. You were, you know, you didn't have widescreen, you didn't have high definition. Sound was probably mono or stereo, but you know, you were cutting off most of the picture and it wasn't high, very high resolution. So why on earth, would you want to settle for that? It's like going to the, it's like, do you want to look at the Grand Canyon in person or do you want to look at it through a Viewmaster? I mean, obviously you want to go see the thing in person, right? But, you know, things have changed since then. You know, home theater systems, uh, let's face it, uh, are sometimes are, are better than what you can see at a, at a theater. And in some cases, you know, like here in Los Angeles, we have a lot of the old legacy theaters. Chinese theater was built in 1927. Uh, a lot of the theaters on Hollywood Boulevard and in Westwood, like the, the Village and the Bruin, these are all movie theaters from the 1930s. So it's been hard trying to keep them updated uh, acoustically. They're not built for it. The Chinese theater was built to show silent films. 
when sound came in, they had to remove some of the decorations because the vibrations was making things tinkle and jingle and stuff that was hanging. You know, they couldn't have that in there anymore. So, and they've always battled with uh, the architecture, having the sound bounce around against big stone walls. It's, you know, they, they have a tough time trying to keep these, these, uh, these theaters current. And then, of course, you know, you have the deals that the studios make with the uh, the exhibitors, which are the movie theaters. You know, the, the theaters don't get a very big cut of the p- ticket price. That's why concession prices are so high, because that is really where they're making a lot of their their profit to stay open. Uh, you know, the $10 box of popcorn and the $6 Coca-Cola, you know, is part of what keeps the doors open. And that's why you'll notice if you go to this, a lot of theaters, staff is pretty small. When I worked at the Chinese theater in the 80s, we'd have sometimes like, you know, 50 people working oh on one shift. I mean, can you guys imagine going into a theater and seeing 50? You no. got box office, you got the ushers, the cleanup crew, and all the concession people. And that is, and people work in the lines. It's 50 people in line. No. <laughs> you know, so things, things have changed. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, exactly, you know, how it's going to all kind of like, play out. I mean, especially with the pandemic, you know, theaters are really hurting right now. But, um, you know, it's once people get used to staying at home and watching a film, you know, it's more cost effective. Like if we want to go to a theater out here, you got to go drive into Westwood. So you got to drive there. Then you got to find parking in Los Angeles. It's not like living in Texas or whatever, where every place has got a parking lot. You know, everything's crammed together out here. You got to go find a parking structure. Now you're paying by the hour. And, uh, you know, so, you know, a family of just like four, you know, they're spending well over a hundred dollars just to go to a theater. Now you weigh that against, you know, paying like a premium price, like, you know, 30 bucks to watch Mulan at home on Disney plus I, you know, yeah. a lot of people are going to opt whether it's the pandemic or not. Some will opt to go and see it in person because they want the experience and others will say, you know, right now it's, it's easier with the little ones and the cost to just do it here at home. So, you know, so a lot, a lot of things are in play right now, but we're definitely, it's definitely evolving into something that it wasn't before. Yeah. My parents had told me when VCRs came out that there was this hysteria that that was going to be the end of the movie theater. Yeah, well, so... when television came out, they thought the exact same thing. Uh, you know, that's why, you know, theaters, theater companies, which were the studios back then. See, like now, like if you go to, like out here, it's more obvious in Los Angeles, you'll see places like the Warner Grand in San Pedro, which used to be owned by Warner Brothers. Each theater, actually the way it started out was these were all theater chains first for the most part, and then they needed their own products, so they started studios to make movies for the theaters that they own, like the Warner Brothers and people like that. They owned theaters first, and then they opened a studio so they so they could have product, you know, and get, it, get a lot of it when they needed it. But the same thing happened when television came in. They thought that was going to kill it. And uh, even radio put a dent into the movie business because people would rather stay home and not miss their favorite radio show. There were some theaters that would stop the movie and play the radio program for a half hour and then start the movie again just so they could keep people in their seats to not go home. So this is a, this is a, this is a battle that's been going on since, you know, long before we were around, you know. Uh, so... That's why they came up with things like CinemaScope, all these things to, to give you something that you could not get at home on television. You know, uh, it's just that right now, like we were saying, it's getting harder and harder to compete with home systems. 
Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, uh, they're changing in budgets on how they're making Star Wars now in terms of locations, like with that volume technology that uh, Favreau brought in for The Mandalorian. And they can go to Tunisia uh, in in Los Angeles now, uh, you know, in the studio or Manhattan Beach or wherever it is, um, which, you know, gives you hope for, for them to widen the net because, we you know, obviously with uh, the, the parks being closed and all this stuff, obviously they're taking hits. And, you know, us three here, we have huge hopes for them to, to continue the solo stories, uh, even though that didn't do well very well at the box office. Um, we've been pushing that uh, very hard here. So, you know, as a movie historian, you clearly know, up and down the last century of the history of movies very well um in terms of the new technology where where do you see that being able to take star wars uh in this new evolving world with that technology they have well i definitely see it as, as making something like the mandalorian possible you know part of what they were dealing with before the volume was and this i think believe that's what george was trying to build up in uh, you know the digital studio he was trying to create up north was how can you use the technology that you have today to go to these, you know, like I'm not behind me, I'm not on the beach, but you know, I can make it look like I'm there. And, and I'm just using a, a laptop, right? <laughs> so, you know, they've got resources that allow them to, uh, to go to any part of the world with never setting foot out of the Los Angeles basin, uh, which, you know, that makes the, that makes it much more cost effective. You know, it's little things that people don't realize, like, you know, they're, you're on location and like, oh, we're losing the light. Well, with the volume, they can have the golden, the magic hour, the sunsets. The sun stays in the sky at the exact same position. For, you can set up the whole day and do as many takes as you want. You're never losing the light. You're still and you know, the way they've got it, they can change their perspective. doesn't matter. You know, they, they've got all these advantages that, you know, cinematographers, I'm sure, are going to be embracing uh, just because it makes their job so much easier in the new volumes that they built, I believe are even bigger than the ones that they used for season one and two uh, of the Mandalorian. So we're after, and I think they've got one in the, they built one in the UK now. So, you know, once you get to, you know, once you start putting a volume on something the size of like, say the 007 stage at Pinewood, it's like, you know, you've, uh, you don't need to go to Tunisia now unless you really want to, or there's a, a real reason to, to make that happen and, and sure. it's not just star wars either they're no. licensing this thing to to other people including marvel you know um with taika watiti doing his doing thor love and thunder using the volume technology as well so it's like it's going to branch out of star wars as well and i think it's made for people like dave filoni who've been working in sort of a realm like that because you know, whenever they did uh, the animated films you know part of what they developed over at lucasfilm was their pre-visualization uh uh, software, which allowed them to kind of like block out the scenes and do all this stuff, you know, in advance so that when they were going in, so that's the difference between, you know, filming live action and filming or, you know, working on animation. When Dave was coming in to record us for the Clone Wars or Rebels or whatever, they already knew what the scene was going to look like, what the actors were going to be doing, the characters were going to be doing, and what the action was. The voice actors like myself, we only knew what was written on the page. So it's up to Dave Filoni to try to communicate that to us. Now with the with the volume, it sounds like what they're doing is they're doing all this pre-production. They're blocking out all the action. So I think even the actors will have an idea of what it is, that what's happening. Because they're working in a, 
in a confined space, a controlled space. You know, it's, you're not just out in the desert. You can run off in any direction. You run too far, you hit the wall, literally. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if you're doing a fight scene. It's like, well, how is this fight scene choreographed and how does it take place? And people like Dave Filoni, I think, are a natural for that because, you know, they've been working with those kinds of uh, constraints for a long time. And actually, they're the ones that have kind of like put a lot of things into play that I think they're being used in. in uh in the volume. I do have to show you something. When I first worked with Filoni back in 2009, you know, he was still brand new to the whole directing thing, you know, or relatively new season two. And he brought me in and, you know, he's like, well, I'm doing Masa Meda. And he's like, ah, oh, that does my fanboy hard good to hear you done. He said, here, he goes, welcome to Star Wars. He goes, I don't have any Masa Meda action figures, but I do have this. And he gave me this, uh, Micro Machines TIE Fighter. He's like, welcome to Star Wars, Steven. And uh, so I've kind of kept that all these years as like a memento of that that first, very first, uh, you know, I had no idea if I was ever going to come back again. Like, wow, cool. I got to do a Star Wars episode and I got a free Star Wars toy out of the deal too. You know, <laughs> little did I realize that here I am like 10, 11, 11 years later now. And uh, Star Wars is still going strong and I'm, happy to still be a part of it yeah absolutely you, you've done so many characters if all of the characters that you've done in star wars were in a room and they were in an argument who wins let's see i don't know tarkin's got the death star so he might quiet everybody really quick <laughs> so <laughs> you know then again admiral radis kind of was in the way of taking down the death. Uh, yeah, he was, but I don't think uh, Radis carries a sidearm. I know the action figure comes with one, but I don't think he's. Uh, <laughs> I think he's kind of the guy that just get into a fist fight with somebody and just knock him over. You know. What's sure. you also do voice doubling, which I you know you're there, there's a reel on your website of you doing um, all sorts of actors from Robert Downey Jr. to uh, Christopher Walken and and, and down the line. Is there is there a movie that you uh, did a popular line in that people had no idea that it was doubled that uh, that stands out in your mind that you're like yep that that was me I did that you know I I can't think of anything offhand but a lot of times you know it's funny I'll go to a movie and I have to listen real closely to like wait is that that not line sounds familiar and I'm like oh that's right that's I I recorded that for that actor that's why that sounds so familiar. Yeah, and 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 and, and uh, non-disclosure agreements uh, kind of keep me from saying like <laughs> what actors I'm doing in what movies. And, uh, so, oh, sure, sure, sure. But uh, sure. you you definitely heard me. Um, you know, well, you they're kind of. <laughs> you know, what were you going to say? Hold on. What was that? Oh yeah, the most obvious one that I can that I can talk about is uh, the documentary Life Itself about the uh, film critter. Uh, Roger Ebert, uh, because I was brought in to read the passages from the book Life Itself, because Roger at that point, two things had happened. First, he had passed away, and even if he had been alive, uh, he was no longer able to talk because of uh, his cancer and everything like that, so he would have had no voice. But uh, I was brought in to, um, to voice match Roger, and that was uh, that's probably been like the highlight of my voice matching uh uh, jobs that I've done up to this point because it was very personal. I mean, I grew up watching Roger Ebert on, yeah. uh, with Siskel and Ebert 
And uh, when we went to Sundance for the premiere of that, I'm not talking about being stressed. He had not, he had not been gone that many months when that film came out. And here we've got his wife, his family, his close friends. And I'm thinking to myself, God, if this doesn't go over, you know, um, <laughs> this is not going to be a good screening. But as it was. Two thumbs down, Steve. Two out, thumbs down. Well, yeah. <laughs> we were every, the director himself, Steve James, was concerned. Uh, you know, Steve James had done Hoop Dreams. I mean, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a newcomer to the documentary scene. Knew what he was doing, but he also knew he was taking a big chance people if they didn't accept this uh yeah and he didn't give it away and people were asking like how did roger where did you get these recordings of roger reading from his book how did it come out he was letting people know space this this was even asked at the director's guild screening here in los angeles and these are all people at the top of their game going to screenings at the dga and even they wondered how he had done it. And he had to tell people, say, well, that was an actor, Stephen Stanton. He's a voice actor, voice match artist. And, uh, you know, we uh, managed to secure him to, to do this. And that's the way it came out. But uh, and I even even here in Los Angeles, you know, um, our local uh, entertainment guru, George uh, Pinocchio, he's, uh, he knew Roger well. And he's, even he said he was fooled by it. Uh, when he did the review of the thing. So got good kudos. And, and, you know, the, the papers in Chicago gave, gave it good reviews too. So oh, that was, yeah. you know, that's the one you're, you're, that's just like with Tarkin in the UK. If the, if the, if the hometown yeah. doesn't go for it, you know, you're sunk, you know, but fortunately. You don't want to go to a, a deep dish pizza place in Chicago and be like, Stanton, you really tanked that whole yeah. Uber thing. No, you don't, you don't want that. But uh, no, it was I'm very, very, uh, very proud of the way that came out. Very happy to be involved with it, and uh, it's great to be able to kind of like give, sort of like honor Roger. All the things, you know, as a kid, you know, growing up where I did in Tampa, Florida, and it's not no, no movies being made there, and you know, that show used to give us love listening to the, to the, those two guys talk about film. It's uh, it just wonderful to listen to. It's great, great education before coming out here. Oh, without a doubt. Um, so I know we don't have too much more time. So uh, Lacey always refers to Obi-Wan Kenobi as the greatest of all time in terms of Jedi, the goat. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you, you're talking about, you know, paying tribute to these people who were um, sort of people you looked up to. Obviously, Alec Guinness, I'm sure, is on that list being that you saw him in the original Star Wars um is it you know carrying on his legacy because he passed in 99 so you do you you paying tribute to him in you know 2018 or 2017 whenever that was especially that twin sons episode where you just absolutely nailed his essence and just completely captured his voice in every way possible um what does that mean to you? Did you feel a responsibility to almost introduce kids to Alec Guinness through your vehicle being your voice? Like, where, do you, where where's the responsibility? Do you feel in terms of bringing that uh, out into a new generation? Well, the, for me, the responsibility is trying to to get it as closest to what uh, Alec Guinness brought to the original films, and uh, not try to deviate from that. You know, I'm not trying to you know, to make this my own or try to put a new spin on it or anything like that. What I'm trying to do is take what he did and just, you know, put new words to it. You know, we're, we're 
new dialogue, new situations, but being true to the character that he created. You know, he created that character to be, to walk a, a specific way, talk a specific way, react to situations, you know, in a very specific way. And I was, uh, I used all three of those films, you know, when I was studying for that, that particular role. And, you know, I, once I, you know, once I got the script and was able to see, you know, what they were doing, like I said before, the, talking to Ezra around the campfire, I thought, okay, this is more kind of like, you know, Return of the Jedi kind of thing, you know, uh, Force Ghost, Obi-Wan, that kind of a feel I wanted to it. The only way we could have made that better is if the technology had been uh, advanced enough or we could have acted the scene out and just had mobile microphones. Because then we could have, you know, we could have blocked the scene out. And your physicality sometimes, what you're doing physically sometimes dictates how your voice is going to come out. You know, he's an older man. He's getting up, you know, from the fire, that kind of thing. Little added touches, you know, you can uh, think like that, that you, you don't get because you don't know what the action is. I'll give you a good, for instance, you know, everyone loves the, uh, the scene where he goes uh, and has the fight with Maul and he goes through the three different positions, right? He goes to the yeah. younger Kenobi position and the older Ben and then the Qui-Gon pose, right? That's not in the script. It's not in the script. Only, the only thing it says in the script is he, 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 what I don't know what the term is, he fires up his lightsaber at last. And then they go through the emotions of the, uh, of the fight. It's described in a paragraph. Nowhere does it say that he does those three, those three poses. So as an actor, I had no idea that that was going to happen. I saw it when wow. you know, I saw the, the final product, but you know, uh, when you when voiceover gets to the point where they can do that kind of thing, you know, uh, where you're acting it out. I have done it once before for a, uh, a StarCraft uh, project. Are you guys familiar with the game, the StarCraft? Uh, mm -hmm. This is a few years back. Yeah. We actually did it in the same studio that I do, that we did all the Clone Wars uh, recording in. It's a big studio. You can fit, like, easily fit a dozen people in there. They rented the whole studio out for me and one other person. And um, we got the script in advance. We rehearsed it. We brought it to the session. We t did the table read there, which is something we never get in uh, television animation. Prime time, yeah, you're doing King of the Hill or Family Guy. You might get a table read or a rehearsal. When you're doing the Clone Wars, no. We're lucky sometimes <laughs> if we get the script on the day of the recording. But that has happened. So, you know, with StarCraft, we're in there rehearsing the table read. And then they had us, they had the entire room was might mics all over the room and we just acted out the scene we just played it as if there were cameras on us and they just recorded what we did Absolutely. and uh it's a unique um you know unique you can still find it on youtube i think i actually have a video of it on my my youtube page under the trailers games and trailers section it's wonderfully done wonderfully animated but it was unique in the fact that as voice actors we got to play the scene just as if the cameras were rolling wow um, I, I have one last question in terms of that Kenobi scene with uh, Maul. Um, I, you know, we see video of Sam Witwer, and he's very a very violent voice actor, and he really is gets into it. Um, did you record that with him side by side? And what was uh, was it an emotional recording? Because it's a very uh, heavy moment for those two characters that have had such a legacy. And ha had you guys? Uh, tackle that and bring that out to life. 
Yeah, you know, if you remember that episode, the main characters appear in sort of bookend scenes at the beginning and at the end of, of that particular Rebels mm-hmm. uh, episode. Uh, they filmed the main cast, they recorded the main cast first, and then they let everybody go. And then the only three people left in the room were myself, Taylor, and Sam. And this, that's actually the way we stood. I was on the right, excuse me, I was on the left, Taylor was in the middle, and Sam was off to the right. And that's the way we record a thing. And when Sam, it's like I said, when Sam starts to, you know, really start, you know, getting that stuff coming out of his gut there, and it, just, it fills the room. So you can't but have a, an emotional reaction to it. You're like, all right, it sounds like this guy's getting ready to explode. So you're on edge, you know. <laughs> If we'd had lightsabers, I would have fired mine up for sure, just to be on the safe side. He just didn't know what he was going to do. Sam's, you know, he's he's uh, he's a wonderful actor. I mean, you got to be uh, you've got to be sharp on your A game when you're working with him because you got to like a lot of people think because you know we're voice acting and we have the scripts in front of us that we're just reading it off the page. But you really have to listen, just like in any other form of act. You have to listen to what the other person or the other people in the room are saying and how they're saying it. And that will dictate how you respond uh, back to them. You know, that's why we do multiple takes. If we were just reading off the page, you just read it through once and go on to the next thing. But, you know, we, we try different things. And, uh, and after a while, even with voice actors, you know the dialogue so well that you start looking at the lad at each other. I always used to like Tarkin. It's like always like giving Ashley Eckstein, you know, the Tarkin, shooting lightning bolts at her across the room. Cause we would always, Corey Burton and I would always position ourselves on the opposite end of the room. So the good guys were over here and the bad guys were over here. So I had to look across the room <laughs> at cool. them, you know, so we could address them, you know, with our villainousness. That is, that is amazing. Um, I know we're pretty much out of time and, you know, we don't want to cook your voice on you here, but um uh, what I saw, at least from IMDb, is um, you're going to be in uh, the upcoming series Monsters at Work. Uh, is that uh, is that accurate? And um, um, uh, you're taking over from Dan Gerson, who had passed away. Um, again, you're you know uh, carrying on someone else's uh, legacy, and you went into kind of how that went about. But uh, can you tell us just briefly um, your your uh, thoughts on going into that that franchise and doing the work that's coming up for that yeah it's a wonderful series you know it's monsters at work it's based on of course it's a sequel to monsters incorporated it's kind of like taking place you know what happens now that they're you know uh, using laughter instead of screams you know to power the place and uh, as you mentioned i'm doing the the characters i'm actually doing three characters in there uh smitty and needleman which are the two kind of like you know two teenagers, you know, they both sound exactly alike and they're, they're both just complete morons. And, uh, we get to explore that more in detail <laughs> in this. And I also do the, uh, uh, Sanderson character, the guy that, you know, the sock is on his back and gets ripped off to the fur and all that stuff. Uh, but more, 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 more of what I'm doing is, is, uh, is around uh, Smitty and, and Needleman. They're great. It's, it's, it's great, uh, series, you know, all the, all the main leads are back. Billy Crystal, John Goodman, and um, I've seen some of the, uh, the finished footage on it. It looks just as good as the movie, if not better. They're just putting everything into this. It's it looks beautiful. I can't wait. I don't know when it's going to come out. Sometime next year. It's from what I've heard. I don't know a, a specific date yet, but um, 
I think everybody's everybody's going to like it. It's uh, it's good stuff, and and directors and the writers on the show are just phenomenal. Uh, some some of the funniest people that I've had the pleasure of working with. And uh, I just yeah, also want to mention you mentioned IMDb. Uh, this actually came out a while back, but if you guys are fans of Scooby Doo, I did an episode with Mark Hamill of Scooby Doo Guess and Guess Who. Have any of you guys seen that? Are you uh, have if you're subscribed to who's seen it? John seen it? James has seen it. I, I no. saw the clip that you either you or Mark Hamill po- you posted maybe I, I posted of you clip, working yeah. with yeah Mark yeah, yeah. and um, it's uh, it's great because I don't know you, you weren't around, but back in the seventies they used to have I think it was called the new Scooby Doo movies. And they were longer episodes of Scooby-Doo that would have some celebrity that would come on in animated form. So this is just yeah. a redo of that concept. And the episode that I'm in is Mark goes back to Japan to attend his high school reunion because that's where he went to high school. And I play uh, Coach Rochner, his uh, football, his uh, athletic coach. I play his drama coach, Mr. Burl. And I also play somebody else. I did get to say the classic line, and I'd have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling kids and famous movie yes. actor Mark Hamill. <laughs> so I've done about a half a dozen of those episodes, and I think I've gotten to say that line a number of times now. So, uh, but if you awesome. can, if you if you get a chance, you know, Boomerang. I think you can sign up for free for seven days, whatever. Check it out. There's so many Star Wars Easter eggs in that. Uh, I don't want to give them away because some of the best ones are ones that I didn't show in that clip. There's some really good like. Comic Con, Star Wars, Mark Hamill type uh, Easter eggs and that. So uh, I, I, check it I, out. I think you just won me over, man. My son just got into Scooby Doo, like loves Scooby Doo. So this this is gonna have to okay, happen well, for us. Yeah, Boomerang's got them all. So you know, from the originals <laughs> all the way up to you know Scooby Doo doing Zombie Island, whatever. And it was great, great working mm-hmm. with that cast. You know, Frank Welker's been doing Scooby Doo's. I don't know, 1969, you know, so yeah. mm-hmm. it's great to work with somebody who's been in the, been on the show since it's in set. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we don't want to you know, keep you. So, um, uh, any, uh, last words for us, uh, Steven, before he, uh, hops back to that beach back there. I, I have a question if you want to answer it. Absolutely. So, That's um, why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you've done Creatures, which I'm a huge Radis fangirl myself. I love Admiral Akbar. I love Radis. Um, if you could do any character, like if they came to you from Lucasfilm and they said, you know what, pick a character, you can do the voice for it. Would you pick someone brand new that you can make your own or would you pick someone that you know and you love? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I love doing the brand new characters to be able to kind of like create something new and hopefully it, mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. something that people latch on to and kind of hey, yeah, that was cool. I like that character, you know. Uh, but then again, you know, I've always wanted, you know, like I, if they would ever said, oh, we need to have somebody do Lobot and give him a voice, I'd be, yep, I'm there. I'm ready to do Lobot uh, on day In one. In costume, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I did a whole photo shoot where I dressed up as uh, as Lobot. This was a m- months ago, last year now. It was up on Instagram and Twitter. We put up some of the pictures, and I just had a blast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, yeah, it's, <laughs> It's tough to it's tough to pick, you know. If you ever get that choice, boy, I, I don't even want to think about uh, that day coming, you know, having to choose between right. or the other. <laughs> Absolutely. So there you go. Any more? Any other questions? Or are you good? No, I don't want to keep you any longer. You, I just love <laughs> listening to you. I I hope it didn't. Yeah. 
You you saw how much I enjoyed it. I was just smiling the whole time. Okay, I'm just making sure. How are they doing? <laughs> and uh, yeah, how are you guys doing on uh, Make Solo Two happen? And uh... well, we have well, they haven't uh, made it yet. <laughs> yeah, they haven't made it yet. Uh, so, so. Yeah, but. We're I hoping, can see that uh, coming we... to Disney Plus. Couldn't you guys see that coming to Disney Plus? Is either a made for Disney Plus movie or even a miniseries, right? Yes. I yes. would love it. Yes, because because hundred percent. Who doesn't want to see uh, I'm glad you brought this up, Stephen, because I didn't want to put you in a tough spot to talk about. So thank you for giving me the opening. <laughs> what do you mean it's us? But I love solo. Uh, okay. I love so, that film. I, mean, I have a copy end, of it. They, they end solo with them flying off to go to Jabba's Palace. Who does not want to see Alden and Jonas walking down and seeing a puppet Jabba. Uh, Lacey talks about it all the time, about the, the puppet Jabba. I do. Uh, <laughs> and, and seeing them get, going to work with Boba Fett there, Salacious Crumb, the whole thing. You can do the mall and Kira stuff. Like It's just right there on a platter. Uh, I feel like the budget would be good for it. So, I mean, we're pushing hard for they it. They already brought we'll the Salacious Crumb puppet back in The Mandalorian, right? You guys saw that. Right. So, you know, we're, we're already got that. That's taken care of. We can just cross that off the list. That's done. <laughs> cross that off the budget. You got yeah. the puppeteer. He's still around. Uh, we actually had to do those, uh, what do they call, Kowakian... Uh, What's the proper terminology? Quackian monkey, monkey lizards. Okay. And you're not allowed to take them into the cantina. Yeah, I had to do age. a bunch of noises for them on one of the episodes of Resistance, you know, when they were getting out of a cake <laughs> or something like that. Like those steroid ones? <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. You know, but I, it could be because there was a day where they just said at the end of one of the episodes, me and one other person stayed. And they said, can you guys, we need to have some Quackian sounds. And I was thinking, you know, the guy that originally did that, he's still around. You know, you probably bring him right. in. He's probably got that down down pat. But, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to see uh, Solo come back. Uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, that movie was just, I think, just had an unfortunate set of circumstances surrounding it. And, uh, you know. 100%. If, if there had been more time, I think, wasn't it because Mary Poppins was coming out that Christmas? They couldn't do a Christmas release on it because uh, – Mary Poppins was right. Out, so, you know, right. So we'll put it up against Avengers and see how it handles. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that we don't know that Disney and Lucasfilm do know. They know how many people are watching it on Disney Plus. They have the numbers. So yeah, right. They can make, a, they make hear, a decision very easily. They hear the buzz about our little fan movement. There so you go. hopefully. Hey, and Ron uh, Howard, and the Howard family, it looks like they're expanding into, uh, you know, really getting their foot in the door in the Star Wars. So yes. you never know what's what's going to happen. That's my constant and, and thing with Star Wars. You never know. They, they're they bringing Willow back, Stephen, with a similar cast of characters, right, in terms of behind the camera. So uh, it's all. And it's Aaron all Kellyman, supposedly, in Willow. Oh, is she? Hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You know, I have the movie. It's like I wasn't even expecting the movie to come out on Disney Plus. I'm like, oh, I could have saved myself from because at the time it was like it was only on DVD. There was no Blu-ray. And I was like, ah, this thing's right. Kind of, and that's all you can get, you know, and it came out on <laughs> Disney Plus. I'm like, wow, yeah. finally. <laughs> Love Val Kilmer. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Kevin Pollack, too. <laughs> Everybody's good in that that uh, that film. <laughs> Um, yeah, but thank you for for bringing that up because I, you know, I know you you work with uh, Lucasfilm, so we're not sure. But I'm glad to see that you love Solo also, yes. and uh, I feel like it's kind of it's becoming like a cult status where people are like, you know what, 
I do kind of like that movie, and uh, hopefully it cultivates into something because Alden Ehrenreich said he would come back. So that's a big that's a big thing, right? I, I, I'll watch it. No, no problem. No, no, won't get any argument from me there. <laughs> hopefully you'll be in it. <laughs> You never know. Yeah. There was a lot of people that thought that that I think there was a droid that got busted up who looked a little bit like AP5 in the beginning. And a lot of people were asking mm-hmm. me about if that was AP5. And I'm like, <laughs> no, that's not AP5. Dave, I think Dave told me that AP5 probably would have shown up. He was going to show up anywhere. Would have been in Rogue One, believe it or not. Mm. That's where he was. But uh, at least that timeline, a lot of the characters that you have played still have a pulse. So yes, he's out of their, their, you know, Morali of is in jail, uh, Mieber Gascon, you know, there's a lot of theories about where he ended up. Uh, Dave Filoni <laughs> has said, you know, the scene on the death star where they're in the conference room, he says, you know, that one chair that's facing the camera, it looks like nobody's sitting in it. A rebel spy dresses an Imperial Mieber Gascon <laughs> sitting in that chair. That's what he suggested to me. <laughs> And Mieber sitting in that chair. And someone online has actually drawn him in that Imperial uh, officer's uniform. Oh, my God. You can find that somewhere. So Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, you know, before we uh, before I go here, I do want to just uh, mention something in passing to uh, any of your listeners. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that I have on my YouTube channel is an audio book of Treasure Island that I did a while back and was uh, being used by a lot of students uh, especially for AP English, which is uh, getting younger and younger each year. And uh, kids, I, you know, I'm always surprised at the grade that they're in where they're having AP English. And um, during the, uh, the lockdown, uh, it actually exploded. Everybody, we were getting emails from teachers and students all across the country uh, who were utilizing this in their class, using it for their homework. Wow. So I just wanted to mention to anybody that's got – yeah, I, I, it's 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 for free. That's uh, I know YouTube is putting commercials on everything, but it's I don't make any money off of this thing at all. It's, I put it up there originally <laughs> for free, but um, uh, so kids are using it, and um, if you've got kids and they they have AP English or if they're having, it's a tough book to get through. The uh, all the old English and the seafaring vernacular in there. It's 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 tough to sort of uh, comprehend to to comprehend. So I, uh, you know, I we always suggest that um, you know the kids read the book and listen to the audio book uh, while they're reading it. And uh, I play all the characters in it. There's 34 chapters. It's complete. And so everyone from Long John Silver, you know, to Captain uh, Smollett, no, everybody else, and uh, Jim Hawkins, I, I play them all. So even if it's just something you just want to listen to, it's it's good for that. Uh, it's fun for that too. But we're, uh, you know. We always recommend it to kids that are uh, that are using that in school. And you might hear a familiar Star Wars voice or two in all the many, many characters in that thing. A lot of pirates, a lot of English, British uh, folk characters in there. So keep keep your ears peeled while you're listening to it. So you're, nice. You're saying Peter Cushing is a pirate is what you're saying. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm saying any. it's possible, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man this is great steven um we just uh, want to thank you for taking the time to join us uh it's I mean, we know how busy you are and 
Uh, we're glad to hear that you're doing well with work because uh, 2020 has been crazy for a lot of people. So glad to hear that you've been able to uh, still be doing what you do because you're one of the best at it. But uh, thank you so much for, for spending an hour with us and talking Star Wars and the history of uh, the franchise, among other things, in Americana. But thank you so much for everything. Well, no, thank you, guys. It was, a, it was a pleasure finally being on here and getting to meet everybody involved with the show, not just you, John. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was great meeting you, Lacey and James. So uh, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again sometime in the future. I hope so. Thank you. All right. See you guys later. So there it is. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephen Stanton. Uh, we probably could have gone a lot longer. He has a wealth of information, not just Star Wars, but the history of Americana, the film industry. His first job is working at the Grumman's Chinese Theater. Uh, just incredible Crazy. where he took his journey um, from, from that point, working in you know effects and then realizing he can do voices. And now he's in Star Wars movies and stuff. I, I, I don't have much else I can say about it. The proof was right there in the pudding. Uh, Lacey, um, he, he got into a lot, so it was a very interesting, it was almost like a class. I felt like it was a class and learning really what it's like in that industry. Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt him because he just was so good at what he does. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like you, you feel like if you, you stop him, you'll lose something along the way because he just would tell you these stories that you're just so engrossed in and just want to hear every single detail there is. And you know that he has so many experiences to share that, uh, yeah, he was awesome. So thank you, Stephen, for talking with us. Yeah. And you loved his and background. And your, your yeah. background is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> really um, just top notch. It, it landed so well towards the end there with him uh, talking about, you know, going back and, and we're like, oh, on Scarif. And there he is. He's on Scarif. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was James, really good. Man, you, you nerded out quite a bit, especially when he finally broke out the voice. Yes. Yeah. I mean... Uh, look, like I've always had this interest in like uh, voice acting and, and the stuff that these guys are doing just because, you know, you watch these videos of like famous characters that you recognize and then these you watch an interview and they just like fly through them and stuff. Um, but uh, I don't know. St- Steven's been such a uh, like a, a friend of the podcast for so long, you know. Um, yes. just the, every time, every time he comes around in any way, even like behind the scenes, like when we're privately talking to him about, you know, this or that, um, just an absolute treasure for, for Lucasfilm and star Wars and, and anybody who works with him, like such a great person. Yes. Um, and I'm really glad to have him kind of in that, um, in our, like, you know, resistance base yeah. grouping uh, of, of people that we can call friends, you know? And, and, you know, in that industry, you know, there, there can be a lot of people who um, are jaded and that sort of thing. I mean, talk about such a down to earth and nice person, just uh, really? Star Wars aside, just a, such a great guy and his whole, his whole team, uh, just amazing people. And how about him uh, vouching and, and bringing it up? That he's a Make Solo 2 Happen supporter. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, he, he said, I would love more Solo. Yes. So we can add Admiral Radis, Ben Kenobi, Tarkin, uh, Mieber Gascon, all to the list of supporters of Make Solo 2 Happen. <laughs> um, I thought yeah. I thought that interview was rapping. And he's like, guys, we didn't get to Make Solo 2 Happen. Because <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't want to bring him bring it up because he's on the payroll. You know, you don't want to put the yes. guy in the spot. Like, what's going on with your company? How come they're not doing this? And he's like, no, no, no. What, what's going? How's it going with the Make Solo 2 Happen thing? And you go... Well, they haven't made it yet, so um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, he, thank you so much to Stephen. We know how busy you are, and and we're glad that you are because with what you can do in your industry, you're able to work through 2020. So we're very happy to see that you're doing well. And uh, more, most importantly, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you were very generous with it, and uh, I, we know our audience absolutely loved hearing uh, the voice of so many of their favorite characters um, right here in our base. So we hope to have you again, and thank you uh, to you and your team and everybody, and we'll we'll see you soon. But uh, we do want to thank everybody for listening and watching and being a part of TRB. Uh, make sure you do subscribe to our show, uh, audio platforms. If you like that, we're everywhere. Spotify is my favorite, uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, SoundCloud, uh, and also uh, YouTube. If you're watching, youtube.com slash Star Wars News Net videos. If you were watching, you saw Steven had uh, Paradise behind him in his background, uh, which he referred to as Scarif. So there you go. Um, I do want to say go to StarWarsNewsNet.com for all of your Star Wars news, of course, and Patreon.com slash Resistance Broadcast if you want to support TRB. Uh, we really appreciate everyone who's been supporting us. It means a lot to us. It's really going to help set us up for what we hope is a return to normalcy in 2021. This is normal for us, of course, but going out and doing things and, and being able to really expand what we're doing and bring more content for you guys. So thank you for all your support, especially our generals, Carmelo, Andrew Staley, Jeremy Myers, Neil Shaw, David Probus, John Reese, Micah Harrison, Michael Gaines, Jetta Rosewater, Bethany, Russ Harbison, Kendall Gellner, Paul Olson, and Val Trichkoff. Thank you all so much. Um, and lastly, the Mando Fan Show. Uh, tomorrow night, yes, with our guest uh, writer-director Stephen Ford to talk about the final chapter in season two. What What are we in for? What is I love happen? Stephen, so I can't wait. <laughs> Stephen is... Uh, we had an w- amazing episode with him earlier this year, so I'm really yeah. excited to talk Mandalorian with him and him be live with us and, and really get in the mix. So we hope you join us 8.30 East live on the YouTube channel. And of course, if you can't make it, you're going to be one of those people. Uh, it'll be on the podcast app for you later. So uh, that's pretty much it. You can find me on Twitter at Johnny Hoey if you want. Otherwise, uh, of course, at Star Wars News Zen and around here. Uh, Lacey, where can people find you? If you want. <laughs> Sometimes I, I like to push back and be on the, outs- on the Just, outer uh, rim. I don't know. Maybe if you want to. I don't know. If you want to hang out, slide into my DMs. My DMs are actually Ew. closed. Uh, so you're not doing that. All right. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lacey Gilleran. Still looking for the Rebels drawstring backpack. So if you want to shoot it my way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's been a week. Still looking. Still looking. Yeah, we found Ezra. So now we have to find his backpack. <laughs> right. Uh, James? Um, taking a cue from John, please consider following me on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter uh, at Meyer Trunks. Yeah, if you want. If you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you no. feel so inclined. Right. So so that's it for us. Um, we will be back on Monday morning. So uh, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. We hope you enjoy The Mandalorian. And we'll, of course, see you on The Mandalorian Show tomorrow night. But until next time from TRB, we'll see you around, kids. <laughs>